Hello, everyone. You're listening to Valorant Radio. My name is Matt West, and tonight I'm joined by the one, the only, big fat drunk. How are you doing tonight, BFT? Lord, I was born a rambling man. <laughs> That's the Sean Watson. If uh, if you didn't get get the memo, if you forgot your stilettos, you know. <laughs> I had to sing it because I couldn't carry a, a tune if it had a handle. No, it was very nice. It was very nice. So, BFT, did you know that Obama is still in office? Cody by Joyce Mann was just released. Kawhi is still in San Antonio. Batman versus Superman is in the box office. Brock Oswald is a starting quarterback and is 2016 again. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I don't know if it's 2015 or 2016. I can't really decide. They're both, you know, they're all kind of similar in that way, right? Yeah, I think it's 2015, but what makes it 2016 is this week just because name redacted is a starting mm. quarterback. But I think the offense and kind of defense more resembles 2015 because the secondary isn't as good as it was in 2016. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, yes, I, I think you're, you're dead on right. We've been kind of making that joke for a couple of days now that it just really seems like we're having, like, Houston Texans flashbacks, right? And – uh, and I brought up – I really love the analogy I came up with that nobody else probably understood. It's the, the 1983 Chicago White Sox and winning ugly and how – that just seems to be the exact Texan style. They, they win ugly. And, and then in, in 1983, the Baltimore Orioles then just, like, just drove straight through the White Sox and they were out. And everybody was like, oh, Tony La Russa. That was the beginning of the whole Tony La Russa. I hate him so manager. much. And he's just the worst. Yeah. I just I see all those like everybody thinks Bill O'Brien's like this awesome outstanding head coach and to me he's like the Tony La Russa of his time he's just overrated and he just looks purely off reputation and not actually like production. That makes me even probably even dislike Bill O'Brien even more. I'm still upset about the 2011 World Series when Joe Buck and Troy Aikman took every opportunity to you know say Ron Washington was stupid and this and that. And then Tony LaRusso would do like the same thing that was questionable, but he became a genius and a master. And uh, I just wanted to throw up all over myself the entire time. <laughs> he, he was pretty much, and he was terrible. I mean, it's not that he was even like a good manager. It's like if you go back and you look at the advanced stats, for years he was a below average manager. He was, God, who, who am I trying to think of? Uh, St. Louis Cardinal, infielder, who everybody loved for like years, short guy. I can't remember his name. He's like the guy who he's he's around so long. David Eckenstein. Yes, that's it. That's it. David Eckstein. That he's just around so long. He actually cost your team more games than you ever even imagine. Yeah, that's what he well, was. When you walk and you sprint to first base, that's worth at least one win every year. Right. <laughs> at least, at least. I haven't run the numbers on it yet. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so right now Deshaun Watson's core is in shambles. He couldn't even take an airplane over to Jacksonville. He had to ride a bus, which is just like the funniest thing ever. I, I imagine him on a Greyhound and it like bumpy the entire way and him like falling asleep on like some giant woman's shoulder and slobbering on it and then like waking up like 
four hours later and he's sitting next to like a bunch of chickens, you know, I imagine some big ragtag affair uh, driving down to Jacksonville. And so with him injured right now, the Texans have really reverted back to the past, but this time it's in a different way. And everything has changed once again. This time they're playing 2014, 2016 football. It's run the ball, control the clock, play defense, do just enough on offense and hope and pray that's enough. And the more things change, the more, you know, how the cliche goes. So BFD, do you think this change is the right move right now considering the injuries that Sean Watson has? No, I don't like that particular change. The change that I like that I saw on Sunday, and it was good seeing it considering, you know, if, again, if two guys in their mother's basements blogging can see this in the first game and second game, and why can't the coaching staff see it and, and adjust for it? But I saw some a couple of running back chips. I saw um, some tight ends trying to help out. Jordan Aikens, not so much. That was pretty sound. And, and Gakwe Sack, that was just pitiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you saw, and, and we did a lot more play action, it seemed. And it also seemed like we were doing some more things to get some, uh, there was actually a bootleg. We're doing things to get Deshaun Watson out of the pocket a little bit more. It wasn't like this grand move, but it was like enough to say, hey, maybe they are catching on that we need to protect our franchise quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I think like, that, yeah, I can see what you're saying. Uh, I think like, two, like against the Colts, they were more, the offense looked more like it did never Watson was healthy in 2017 than did last week. But I think with the injuries Watson has, I think they kind of did as about, like they, they were like as good in the middle as you can be with, you know, play action, creative run plays, without actually using him as a runner. And I don't know why Jackson will bought it at all. Like they were actually watching Watson over there whenever there's no way he's even going to run with the injuries he's had right now. Uh, the play action was nice. The bootlegs are good. Even though Watson completed 50% of his passes, like he didn't get creamed. I think the biggest thing that I enjoyed about the offense was like you just mentioned, where they were actually chipping on the edge. That Aikens block was terrible. I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't think he's a, pat, a you know blocker at all whatsoever, but he's still better than Ryan Griffin. I think he's more of just like a, a slot receiver. But like Jordan Thomas will actually get in there and block. But uh, they use yeah they use guys multiple times. They even did those formations where they had both Blue and Lamar Miller in the backfield and split back, helping out each tackle. And it was you know, monumental. I can't believe that they actually did it. And so they're finally doing like – it's like every week they're doing something a little bit smarter than they should have done six weeks ago. And so maybe by the time like week 17 rolls around, this team is actually playing at like its full performance level. Yeah, it's, it's like because our coach is learning. And I thought they were learning last year. And there's there's been so many step backs, it seems like. And, and – once again, trying to type fit Deshaun Watson into Bill O'Brien's scheme where there's all the reads, the place takes so long to develop. You can't do that with five, basically, well, with four brand new guys and still mm-hmm. like, a, a guy in his second season on the offensive line. You just can't do that. And so, and then playing guys out of position like Davenport. So at least they're doing something. So I am, you know, I've been so negative about this team all season since we since the first game, especially since the first three games. I'm trying to be more optimistic. Hopefully this is the start of, hey, now some of this stuff was actually working. We ran the ball more effectively against a pretty good run defense. Maybe we should start doing some of these things differently like we were doing last year when it was very effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think overall their game plan offense is going to be a lot like what we saw last week. They play Miami this week. They play Denver the following week. They played Washington, Tennessee, Cleveland, Indy, the Jets, Philly, and Jacksonville. Miami, Denver, Washington, Tennessee, 
Cleveland, uh, probably a little bit less. But uh, the Jets and Jackson, those are all run-heavy teams. And so Houston's going to match up really well defensively against all these teams. Probably only Cleveland and Mayfield can give them a little bit of trouble because they have to push the ball downfield a little bit. But I haven't watched the Cleveland game this year. I'm not going to. So I know what I know about that. But Philadelphia actually has a legitimate quarterback that throws downfield. So I think Houston will be okay with this you know, more conservative, run the ball, don't turn the ball over, you know, have DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller get open six times a game. Uh, score 20 points offense just because they're going against such run heavy uh, offenses, you know, from here on out. Yeah. And uh, we're going to hold off. I guess we're probably going to hold off talking about that, but the Texans run defense, man. Wow. They're, mm-hmm. I thought they were going to be good. They're not good. <laughs> they're, they're like borderline historic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about them a little bit later on too. And so I guess also like the way this season I'm expecting to work out is they have an easy schedule. They have a bunch of teams that match up really well and have four and three of the first place in the AFC South. And so while Watson you know, slowly plays himself into health and you know only gets sacked one time a game and takes like seven hits, as he slowly gets healthy, hopefully they're ready like by the time December runs around to actually to you know, run the super cool offense, to have the play action deep passing around again, to have the, the run plays actually utilize Watson as a runner. And it's kind of like what they've learned more in the conservative ways and, you know, extrapolate in the future where they actually keep helping out with pass protection on the outside. And then also like Watson too, as a player, just, I think it may be even good form in a way playing like this because the limitation on turnovers is really the biggest thing he has to do. Like he's playing on a team now with the schedule where he has to be like as good as Brian Hoyer and they'll probably win nine games, 10 games at a minimum. Yeah. And that's the other feel about this that, that is uh, not only a, a harken back to 2015 and 2016, but also it's been so disappointed, it's disappointing in its own way is that Deshaun Watson were turning him into a game management quarterback. Mm-hmm. And that's like, kind of like, okay, I'm going to go buy this Ferrari and then I'm going to go, I'm never going to take it on the highway and I'm always going to go 20 in the neighborhoods kind of thing with it. It's like, well, why'd you buy the Ferrari? I just feel like we're really wasting Deshaun Watson's talent. Again, why I don't like Bill O'Brien. Deshaun Watson is a Ferrari. Can we please use him like one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm okay with it for now just because of the injuries. Uh, but if it's December, you know, 17th, and they're still doing this, uh, I think there's going to be, like, a much bigger problem, as much legitimate more problems. Because, you know, even if they think this team makes the playoffs, they're going to play either at Los Angeles, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, New England. And these are all teams that spread the ball out, throw the ball a lot, and the exact type of defenses that will you know, give, give them trouble or the exact type of offenses that will give them trouble as well too. So I'm okay with it for now. I just think it's going to be something that we'll have to change in you know, a month or two as the postseason gets closer along. They actually have to play good teams again. Yeah, and the other one I'm kind of wondering about is, is even the Ravens. I mean, their pass offense is seven by DVOA right now. The Ravens – Joe Flacco is actually doing stuff this year, as shocking <laughs> as that sounds. So it, this is not a small problem that we've got going on. We're going to have to be able to score more than 20 points a game at some point, mm-hmm. even as good as our defense is. Well, and that's the question I have for you now is, do you think if they decide to stick with this, you know, sort of concerted offensive approach, and then maybe uh, open things up more later on, do you think they're going to be able to uh, keep this up and keep winning games in this way? I guess it seems that they play on their schedule because again, Washington's probably the best team they have to play the rest of the way. 
Uh, Philadelphia hasn't played well, but you assume talent's going to win out, especially the defensive line that they have. And Wentz is a, you know, a good quarterback. And then I still think the Jags will get better later on because, again, I think talent was out kind of what we saw with the Vikings earlier this year too. But do you think they're going to be able to keep winning games in this fashion, these like 2010 games like this? Yeah, I mean, look at the, the schedule. I mean, you've already kind of gone over it. The schedule is Miami, Denver. I mean, Case Keenum's been terrible this year. He was, you know, they've been calling for his head for a couple of weeks now in Denver with good cause. Um, wow, we didn't see that one coming. Uh, then Washington, Alex Smith. That, one, that game actually worries me from that perspective because Alex Smith is, he's not having a good year, but he also knows how to beat us. And so yeah. it's just – is is he going to be able to come up with a strategy? Tennessee is having all sorts of issues. Uh, Cleveland, I, you brought up Mayfield. I think that's going to be a good one. I think if, if, if Mayfield had a, a wide receiver core right now, they would be a far better team. They're running on fumes. I, they've got to be missing Josh Gordon right now. Indianapolis, the Jets, you know, Sam Darnold is a turnover freaking machine. Mm-hmm. And then it's Philadelphia and Jacksonville and, and hopefully Cody Kessler will be if if they're lucky will be starting quarterback at that point in time but when you look at the quarterbacks that we're playing the rest of the season um by d-y-i-a-r uh, carson wentz is like 15th that's the best quarterback we play yeah and he, he, and he missed two weeks too so that's total value so uh that probably will jump off too as as time goes on because he throws so many touchdowns you know yeah and the next one is Case Keenum, and he's way down there. So we do not face anybody who's actually good at quarterback, at good at playing the quarterback position the rest of the season. Yeah, and so that's why I think this works. I mean, I don't like it. I don't love it. I understand what they're doing and why they're doing just because of the injuries to Watson. And so it's going to work as long as they keep playing teams that you have to, have to rely on the run game to win. Uh, Houston's going to be fine, and I think they'll be able to win at close games to – to keep the win streak going and uh, stay top the AFC South. The one thing I am really hoping for, though, is that week 17, we get Jacksonville, we get Houston, we get AFC South championship game, we get me and Houston calling in sick to work on Monday and uh, having living one of, the, one of the greatest days of my life, a day I've been waiting you know, three years for that uh, not even the Tennessee Tides can screw up this time. Well, I think, uh, right. I, I think that right now, if I were to guess – I think this the Houston Texans with the schedule they've got lined up. I can only see two games I'm even, you know, that concerned about. This is easily a team that could go eleven and five, and be like the worst eleven and five team in the history of pro football. <laughs> Get blown out of the playoffs in the first game. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of. I think I'm trying to think of like the worst eleven five team I've ever seen. And like the the last like awful playoff team I saw was the Matt Moore Dolphins, and they lost by, like, 24 to the Steelers because they won, like, seven one-possession games with a terribly easy schedule. Uh, and then there was also, you know, the 7-9 and nine Seahawks team that ended up even beating the Saints. Um, so I, I can't think of a really bad 11-5 team that's something I have to go back and look at. Yeah. I mean, this is, this, I mean this, a team that's going to go 11-5 and then right now is ranked 13th in DVOA. Yeah. It's just these things are, are don't – connect very well yeah um so we'll talk about this game now and one of the questions we have is from Texian army and this is a heartstring question so bft he asked 
Would y'all consider this up there as one of uh, your favorite Texan wins ever? And his reasoning was that they went out on the road, beat up on a team that's supposed to be a bully, left the, you know, left the game, the Jacksonville's in shambles. You know, it was like Sherman leaving Atlanta whenever they headed back to Houston. Uh, so was this one of your favorite Texans wins you've ever seen? This isn't even in the top ten, I don't think. I mean, I think if we're really talking about true, you know, favorite Houston Texans wins, it's not even close. Um, the reason is is that we is that Blake Bortles melted down on the field, and we've all been expecting it for years. Cody Kessler came in and threw his five yards per pass. Uh, the and the defense really the defense won this game. I mean, Bortles fumbling uh, a cup uh, the uh, lucky interception to throw interception by Matthew. This was a game completely won by the defense. And if I'm a Houston Texan fan and I've got Deshaun Watson at quarterback and, and they're scoring 17 points without the defense's help, I'm not just I'm, – I'm, I want to be excited about the whole team, not just, like, the defense. The fact that we went to Jacksonville and beat a team that's been playing, like, terribly for the past couple of weeks, again, you know, this, this was a game that we kind of thought, okay, Jacksonville's going to really crush Deshaun Watson. And that didn't happen – and that was ultimately the difference of the game. I mean, got, got to give credit to uh, Pearl Onions, who said, whomever creates the most turnovers is going to win this game. And that's what happened exactly in this game. So it, it's a great win. Again, I still think this is an 11-5 team that's not going to go far in the playoffs. And, you know, I, I just look at, like, the 2012 season. I look at the Bengals' um, playoff wins against them, and I'm a lot more excited about games like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for, I think this was the, probably the, the best win so far this year because, you know, the Colts game had the right thing and they blew that game and allowed the Colts to come back into it. The win against the Bills was just a travesty. <laughs> the win against Dallas was just two mediocre teams kind of you know, playing hot potato and uh, not seizing the opportunity they had available to them. And then I can't remember the fourth other game they won. This year is, is – Put holes in my brain. Yeah, and then maybe Jacksonville, just <laughs> the most recent one. Uh, so, I mean, I think this was the best game, the best like team win so far this year, uh, just because it was one of the monumental reasons for their first place in the AFC South now. Jacksonville is fighting the locker room afterwards. Uh, just how well the defense played, too. And, like, Watson didn't turn the ball over. The pass protection was actually fine. But, like, I don't know. I would, I would put probably – if you asked me a year later from now, even like six weeks later from now, and gave me a piece of paper and said, All right, write down your 10 favorite Texans wins, I don't think this would even register as a, as a memory at all. Like, I don't think I would even see a flash of anything from this. Yeah. Because even, even if I think of like one of the games last year against Jacksonville, um, when, when Blake Bortles had the interception off one of our guys' feet, that's memorable. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was years ago, I think. That was also the year where – I think that was the, week, the first time they played in 2016. And the second time was whenever Name Redacted got benched for Tom Savage. Oh. Tom Savage came in and won it. And then uh, that was during their, their big win streak at the end of the year, too. Yeah, wow. The kick pick was great, though. That was awesome. That All was time. <laughs> All time. So in, in this game on offensively, uh, the Jags defense, they went back to play man coverage for this one after getting scorched by Kansas City and Dallas with all that silly cover four, which against Dallas especially, like I, I still will never understand that. Against Kansas City, I can 
see it a little bit. They were able to force Mahomes with some interceptions, but they allow him to run too much. And then also, you know, with a guy with Mahomes with the arm that he has, he's able to pretty much put the ball through any window uh, available to him. You kind of have to play man coverage against them. And they play bits of coverage too as, as well. Uh, the best part about this, though, is that the return back to man coverage got us a lot of Jalen Ramsey versus DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Boye versus Will Fuller. So what was your favorite play in these two different matchups this game? It was one of them they actually focused on because it just showed what – it showed a flash of what this offense is capable of doing, and it's what I'd like to see really going forward. And it was the one that they focused on where you had uh, Bouye on Will Fuller and, I, and the Jalen Ramsey-DeAndre Hopkins matchups, by the way, were just a blast to watch. But this – it was when Fuller looked like he was, was going to go deep. He was, he was running a streak, and he cut and made an out route, and he created – on Bouye, who is a great defender, he created a solid, like, eight yards of separation like that. I mean, it was like somebody flicked a switch and Fuller was here and Bouye was over there. And it was just beautiful. Just loved it. Yeah, it was like there was a strobe light on whenever he was running mm-hmm. that route. It's like, you you know, there's a flash, he's there, and then another flash, he's at the sideline wide open. <sighs> Just it just I seriously I'm talking about I get chills talking about because that's what this offense is capable of. It's got it's got such great, well, it's got Lamar Miller who's who looked good on Sunday and who should be doing much more. But DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller should be murdering teams together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my thing is like whenever I watch, I really do watch. I do really enjoy watching cornerback defensive back play. But as somebody who's never been fast in their entire life, who has never played wide receiver, defensive back at all. Like even in like pickup football, like I'm just staying in the middle of the field or running post routes over and over again. Uh, like I just like watch him like, oh, that was kind of cool how he like stepped here and then stepped there and like put his arm right there and then turned there. And like you read actual analysis for like, yeah, the drop step here swiveled his hips over here and they're in fire coverage. So he's looking this way and he has this eye right there. It's so, like, I enjoy it like purely as an aesthetic level whenever I watch wide receiver defensive back play. And so my favorite play was the Hopkins one-handed catch, of course. And then the thing I liked most about it was how he used his arm to create separation, but he alligator armed it like Roy Williams going up for like a pass over his head and was just able to like stave him off just enough without the full extension to draw the flag. And like, you kind of just see like how masterful of a route runner Hopkins is. And the other thing that was cool about it too was just, like, how exhausting it is to get open against Jalen Ramsey. Like, even when you beat him, it's, it's like you're, you know, hiking the Appalachian Trail. Like, it's, it's long, it's, uh, it's slaughterous, it takes forever, and you have to do so many things to even create, like, a, an inch of separation against them. And watching those two guys is always just a blast, too. It's kind of funny because there's a lot of speculation. And it reminds me of Namdi As- uh, Asamoah. When he came out, there's a lot of speculation that Jalen Ramsey is going to play safety. Could you imagine what a waste of talent that would be if, if mm-hmm. Ramsey played safety coming out of college? He is – I mean, I don't even know how to put this, you know, politely. He's, he's the, right now he's the best cornerback in the league, and he might wind up being up there with Deion Sanders and Daryl Green and those sorts of guys with how freaking good he is. Mm-hmm. And it's cool, and it's cool too for Ramsey because he's playing in like an age where the numbers are getting a little bit better for defensive back play. And so although he only had – I think he had 20 passes deflected last year, but he had three interceptions. And so you're like, yeah, he's okay. He didn't have eight interceptions, you know. 
And so now like the numbers have been able to go from that to, you know, average air yard per target, uh, success rate, yards after catch allowed, uh, uh, you know, completion percentage allowed against you, yards for pass allowed. So there's a lot more different numbers available to him. And it's been able to better, you know, articulate how good of a cornerback Ramsey is instead of just being like, uh, he's not that good. He only has two interceptions. Yeah, because that was always rubbish, but we had no other way to, to look at it. So you look mm-hmm. at some guys, you know, that were clearly good cornerbacks, but you couldn't justify why they were good cornerbacks. Now we can. Yeah, especially when they run off the screen of the television, you know, right away too. Uh, the other thing about this game was with these two cornerbacks on these two wide receivers on the outside, the entire middle of the field should have been open. You know, Miles Jack and Tillman Smith are really fast linebackers, but they're mostly playing like underneath hook zones. So instead you ha- you're supposed to have guys going against Tyler Patman, who is a terrible slot corner, uh, going up against Barry Church, who's had a bad year. And then Tayshawn Gibson kind of hangs back there to pick up uh, the floats from afterwards. And so in this game, Ryan Griffin is out. And so the Texans rookie tight ends, Jordan Thomas and Jordan Aikens were in. And so we had a question from Huggy Bear. He asked, BFD, how much did Ryan Griffin's absence contribute to the slowing down of the Texans' offense? Harder game plan with a hurt quarterback, or harder game plan with a hurt quarterback when your best midfield target is out. Look, look, let's just be clear. Huggy is trolling me. So <laughs> he knows how much I really despise Ryan Griffin. Ryan Griffin is like the one of the least effective tight ends in the National Football League. He's he's just he's not effective, he's not efficient. So it's it's Huggy's trolling. Um one of the things that I did notice in the game is it did seem like they're running at times they're using their linebackers a little more like the classic Tampa two scheme where they're dropping their linebackers back a lot more. And that kind of caught me off guard. It also made me wonder as good of a game as Lamar, uh, yeah, Lamar Miller had is if he could have been more effective in the passing game simply because of that. Now, if you're Jacksonville, you can look at it the other way and say, okay, I can drop Jack and, and Tom Smith back deeper because they're so crazy fast. They can make up mm-hmm. the ground in front of them and see the play in front of them. So I think when you, when you start looking at the next matchup against Jacksonville, that is something that I would absolutely go after is, is I'd want to see, are they still dropping their linebackers back that far? If so, they're going to give me a lot of room underneath to do some damage if I can't go over the top of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of the things that also kind of, I think, hurt the offense and one of the reasons why they kind of just stuck at 20 points was they lost Kiki Cutie in the first quarter. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, Patman's a terrible slot corner. And so that would have been a matchup they could have went to over and over again. I know QD had one catch, but it was probably a game where he probably could have had, you know, six or seven, like, really easy wide open post routes uh, just because of the problems that Patman has out there. And instead they moved to Tyler Irvin at slot receiver, and he caught one pass in between zone. And uh, that worked out okay. And so if QD misses any time, are you expecting Irvin to, play, to stick at the slot like that? I think they've already announced that he is or just really just really horribly depressing <laughs> yeah it's better than braxton miller the problem better than braxton miller better than some of the other junk they've trotted out there recently but i mean can we at least try vincent smith out there can he can he try that please just give me somebody who's not tyler scissorhands i'd really appreciate that yeah i mean vincent smith is just like a close your eyes hail mary guy He's just like Jalen Strong pretty much where, pretty much. you know, if it's the end of the second quarter and you're playing the Colts, you just kind of throw it up to him and, uh, and hope he makes the play. So the other thing about this game that was really important was that Houston's pass protection was a lot better. In this game, they allowed just one sack. Like last week when they allowed seven sacks to 
Jerry Hughes, Trent Murphy, and Cal Williams. Uh, the big difference this week was that it was only Yannick and Gakwe. So they weren't having Kalias Campbell. They weren't having Malik Jackson and Dante Fowler and Telvin Smith, you know, all getting after Deshaun Watson. The pass rush was kind of cornered into just Ngakwe versus Julian Davenport. And also the run game was a lot better too, where Miller had 100 yards on 22 carries. And it was his best game he's had since week 16, uh, 2016, you know, because it's, it's 2016 still uh, against the Indianapolis Colts and their cheesy defense. So, BFD, what was more surprising to you? Was it the pass protection or is it the run game success? It's definitely the pass protection because I think we were all, I think a lot of people, if you watch Jacksonville and what they did to us last year, and you even mentioned it, Deshaun Watson's going to become pink mist. And that was, that was my fear. But I, I think uh, clearly Clay Campbell was not playing at 100%, so I, that hurt them. But you start looking at, that line and maybe you start thinking they're, they're coming together a little bit and I think one guy who really stuck out at me on the line except for Davenport getting beat wide by Ngakwe was Greg Manx had a heck mm-hmm. of a game and uh, uh, that was great to see I mean I think right now if you were to say who is the best you know Houston Texans offensive lineman it's Manx and I don't think it's very close yeah I would need to watch the the all 22 and watch the run game. I won't have enough time this week, but I do want to write something about the offensive line, hopefully for next week, since we'll have the game over on Thursday and, uh, and I'll be hung over on the airplane, come back from Vegas this week too, to have some time, maybe do something like that. But the one thing I noticed like watching it live was Manx and Martin were always in the second part of the defense. So they were constantly able to get first level movement, and Manx was actually blocking linebackers, like the inside zone run touchdown Lamar Miller had. They had a great ace block on there. And you can even see it from the broadcast view, which is a hard thing to see. And that was just how much movement they were able to generate. I know Manx did give up that one sack because he overextended over on Kalias Campbell, which allowed Fowler to come through, and that was the only sack Houston allowed. But, yeah, overall, the, the run game and how like, good it was was really surprising because Jacksonville's run defense has been uh, – it was six in DVOA entering this week. And I wasn't expecting Houston to get anything at all on the ground at all. I thought it was going to be a lot of, like, hopefully Deshaun Watson's able to find you know, Hopkins for two touchdowns and they take advantage of turnovers, which they did in this game too. Yeah, and I would not – I would not um, – I guess what I've been saying all year is there is real talent there on the Houston Texans offensive line. Mm-hmm. I'm absolutely sure of that. And I think it's just a matter of time for these guys to play and work together for a little bit. This is – you know, setting expectations, realistic expectations. This is what I would expect from guys who are just playing for the first time together under fire. Mm-hmm. And yeah, well, go yeah ahead. I was going to say, you, you've been more patient than I've been with the offensive line. I've kind of got a little hopeless with them. Like, yeah, cut him, trade him, get rid of him. Who cares? Screw all these guys. They're all terrible. But that's an important point. Like, it's hard because, I mean, every single guy in the offensive line has never played next to both of the guys around him since they both played this year. And, like, you know, Fulton's worse than he was in Kansas City. Calamente's worse than he was in Kansas City. Uh, Martin, you know, until this game, I felt like he is still unable to reach the outside shoulder. And he's a good pass protector at the center position. But, you know, pass protection is pretty easy as a center. You're rarely getting one-on-one blocks. You're mainly helping. Davenport was better than he was last year. Uh, Martinez Rankin looked like a, a right tackle in college. I don't think he ever had the foot speed in college to play left tackle. And uh, he was a, an albatross there at left. And then, like, the only player who's been better than he was before is Kendall Lamb, 
He's gone from absolutely unplayable to worst offensive tackle I've ever seen to, you know, like somewhat incompetent. Or I guess incompetent <laughs> is a better way to say it. But that's a lot better than, you know, being in a in a shallow grave. So I, it's been weird. But I think that's – I think a big point of it is what you're saying where, you know, they need to be patient. These guys have never played together. And it, it takes time for these things to kind of gel too. Yeah, and I – I have to say, I think that I, I would rather see Bolton at center than, than Martin. And I, I called him Zach Martin last week. Sorry about that. I forgot to correct myself. Um, uh, I'd rather see Fulton at center. Uh, I, I, I think Nick Martin is not very good. But I, if I saw a line that showed me uh, from left to right, Davenport, uh, uh, uh Calmette, Fulton, Manx, and Rankin. And mm-hmm. you put those guys together, I think you'd have a very, very good offensive line in a couple of games. But yeah, me. I didn't. I didn't be their best combo. I think you could even sub out uh, Manx for Calmette and then put Martin at center, just because Martin has the draft capital and um, you know he's a, he's a good enough like helper in pass protection and like he has potential like the talents there. I think his biggest issue is he just trouble reaching the outside shoulder and that's something that you have to do as a center yeah which i i, I mean you know i think fulton was better at center than martin is but mm-hmm. i say that yeah so i, I mean so I, I think it's again i think it should still get better and then also too you know, run the ball uh successfully you know just helps out the passing game too so davenport was the one guy who got beat a pretty good amount of times so he's going against Gakwe who you know, he was one of the top 10 best edge rushers in football. He had four sacks in this game. He had 19 pressures. He had seven quarterback hits. He was leading Jacksonville in every pass rush category so far this year. And the Jaguars pass rush doesn't have the sacks that it had last year, but it's been able to pressure the quarterback, you know, pretty consistently. And Davenport, you know, he had trouble with the speed rush. I think some of that, too, where they were chipping so far on the edge that he had trouble, like, running and keeping up with how deep these pass route angles were, where, you know, they were – the defensive end was even able to provide pressure, really, because of how deep it was. And uh, Watson was able to step up, you know, pretty nicely. But he still, he still got beat by some inside-out moves. But I think overall he was better than he was the week before against Buffalo. Uh, and, you know, I, I want to say, too, the one thing that really kind of confused me about that game, seeing all the numbers come out from you know, PFF specifically, was I felt like Lamb had a much worse game than Davenport did. And that one, I think Lamb, I counted Lamb giving up two sacks and Davenport two sacks, but they switched in and said, you know, Davenport gave up three and Lamb gave up one. And Davenport had like a rating of like 32 was his grade. And Lamb's was like 70. So, and I think most of the negativity is the pass for us. So I thought that was kind of strange, but uh, you know, Davenport I think did well enough. And it was really good that Houston finally used, you know, Blue and Miller and those uh, split shot, shotgun back sets to chip out on the edge. And then also using Akins and Thomas to help chip too against Jacksonville's best pass rusher. And by containing that and helping out, you know, Davenport against him, uh, leads to Watson only taking one sack. And with his talent, you know, he's able to break out some other ones. Like he broke out of three guys hitting that once to roll out to the right too. So, you know, it was really good. And uh, it was good to see, especially with the pass rush that, you know, that Jacksonville has, has had this year and also going back to last year too. Yeah, and I think that one play, when, you know, I was making fun of Aikens earlier a little bit for it. I think that also hurt Davenport because, I mean, that was that crazy wide nine stuff that almost never works that I just so despised. And 
Here's Ngakwe is so fast. He beats the tight end out of the nine wide, and he blocks Davenport after, out of making a block on the play. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, then Watson was able to step up pretty nicely. And that was the sack that Manx gave up, too. Uh, yeah, and so, like, that's kind of the thing about wide nines is unless you're able to bend and get that angle, you take yourself out a lot of rushes. Oh, that guy is something else. Ngakwe is. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he reminds me of, like, Spider-Man. Like, he's so stretchy with his ribs and how long his arms are. What a heck of a player. Uh, so offensively, is there anything else that you want to touch on? Uh, yeah, a little, just a little bit. Lamar Miller. I, I think this is, this is a better use of Lamar Miller than what we have been in the past. We, we did this against Jacksonville. And stop giving the ball to Alfred Blue, for crikey's sake. Just, I just can't. I, every time Alfred Blue carries <laughs> the ball, a puppy gets kicked in the nuts. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine by me. I think there's too many – you know, we need to neuter our pets. There's too many nuts in these puppies <laughs> out here nowadays. So I'd be four, five for more Alpha Blue carries. Wow, that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't have anything else to add about the offense. But, yeah, I agree. I think this is Miller's best game, you know, in probably, I guess, like half a year or so. Or I guess – I don't know when, week 16, 2016. It's probably a year and a half ago. Now. <laughs> but um, – I understand calendars. This season really has put holes in my brain mathematically. Like, I can't remember anything at all. But, yeah, like, I mean, he was just a really good runner between the tackles, and it was just super weird to see. I thought it was going to be a game where both teams, you know, kind of struggled, and I just thought Jackson's pass rush would be better and force Watson to more turnovers than Houston be able to Craig and Spoils and seem like the other way around. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back in, I guess, 30 seconds. And we're back. So Blake Bortles had was six for twelve for sixty-one yards. He also had six rushes for thirty yards. The big thing was was that he fumbled twice, and he also lost both of those fumbles. So he was benched. Cody Kessler came in, uh, USC's favorite third-round quarterback. <laughs> he was twenty-one for thirty, one hundred fifty-six yards, one touchdown, which was like the blandest, easiest, uh, bo- most boring touchdown drive I've ever seen. And he threw one interception that went off of TJ Yeldon's hands into the arms of Tyron Matthew. And Kessler was sacked four times, and his, the longest pass he threw in this game was only 15 yards. BFD, what was the reason behind benching Bortles? Do you think it gave Jacksonville their best chance to win too, or was it just some you know, mind hunter, super genius, Doug Marone uh, motivation tactics? Uh, I think they felt like the Texans were probably in Bortles' head, which is the only thing I can kind of think of. Because if you're putting in Cody Kessler, it's not like this is going to be some sort of massive upgrade. Basically, you're just hoping and dreaming that Kessler's going to manage the game better than Bortles was doing. Because if you look at their stats, they're basically the same. I mean, the, the bottom line is this is five yards a throw for both of those guys. They weren't pushing the ball downfield. And I, the only real – advantage Bortles has on Kessler is that Bortles is willing to run the ball and can do it effectively. So, but that's not what you ask your quarterback to do. All I can think of is that at the end of last season, we all LOL'd at the fact that they gave Black, Blake, <laughs> they gave Bortles that extension. And oh my gosh, who didn't see this meltdown coming at this point? I mean, Bortles is what he is. We thought he was a game manager even I've had high hopes for him over the past couple of years. But, man, you don't give a guy like Bortles, what is it, three years and $52 million guaranteed? I don't know what the guarantee was, though. I can't remember. 
Uh, I think his cap in this year is like 13 million or so though. I see on, I, on the other hand, like he was last year, he was 16th in DVOA and I thought he was going to be about that again this year. I thought Jackson kind of really figured out what they were doing on offense and then doubled down on it. And I always like whenever a team kind of understands what their style is, how they need to play to win games and they understand what they're good at and they kind of go all in on that. And just kind of what Jackson did the year before by adding, you know, they saw what they had at cornerback and Ramsey they saw some of their young pass rushers. They saw what they had in their linebackers and their ability to cover. So they went on guy Kalias Campbell and A.J. Boyd and said, well, we'll just have, you know, the best pass defense in football. And that's kind of what happened last year. And so they added Andrew Norwell. And they added Austin Safarian Jenkins. When they, uh, when they added those two players, I thought, well, you know, Jackson knows what they're going to be. They're going to be an inside-the-tackles run team. They're going to spread things out on third down, run a lot of crossing routes, get their – Give the ball to receivers so you can pick up a lot of yards after the catch. And if it's not open, Orioles can just scramble for first downs. And so this year that hasn't been able to happen, one, because Fournette's hurt. And I think they really miss Fournette in games where Bortles is inaccurate because Fournette's the type of running back who can carry an entire offense by himself between the tackles by consistently getting successful yards. Uh, whereas, you know, a guy like Yeldon, Yeldon's good, but you want him on like first down and third down. You don't want him out there first down, second down, third down. And Yeldon's a good pass catcher, but he's more of an outside zone back. And the Jags really don't have, like, quick offensive linemen. They're a lot more, like, bigger, stronger, sort of uh, smaller types of backs. And then they also lost Marquise Lee to start the year, too. And they have a, a and they also lost Austin Sperry Jenkins as well. And they don't really have, like, that same level of talent wide receiver as far as guys who get yards after the catch. And then you take all that, and then you have the fact that their best downfield receiver is DJ Chark, who's a rookie, who only has four receptions this year. Now anybody can get open man-on-man man down the field at all. And so they're in this offense that's like in a box. It's cratered in. They're stuck, and they uh, are really just kind of trapped behind there. So and the, so I thought Bortles wasn't – like, you know, he was bad this game. I don't think he was horrendous at all. I don't think it was warrant, you know, benching him. Really the thing that he did wrong this game was just have those two big fumbles where, you know, Houston was able to successfully recover it. But other than that, like, you know, Keelan Cole dropped two – uh, for sure, first downs, they went behind, and they weren't able to run the ball at all. So you're expecting Boros to do everything. And to kind of sum it up, uh, or you're talking about the contract, that's the issue with the contract, though, with Bortles. It's not that he can't be a game manager. It's that Bortles doesn't make the guys around him better. He doesn't elevate the players around him at all. And so whenever, not, whenever everything isn't perfect, when there's imperfections, when there's warts, he can't put the makeup on and cover it up. He can't get the guys around him playing better than they actually are. And so you're just kind of stuck. And that's really what's going on with Jacksonville right now. It's just like a, their entire system, their entire ecosystem is messed up. Yeah, and I think that's a better take than mine. Uh, and it's a three-year, $54 million contract, 26 and a half guaranteed. Uh, because you have to take in consideration that half the Jacksonville starting offense is gone. I think the bigger loss, not bigger than Fournette, but the second biggest loss on that offense is Cam Robinson. Yeah. And then you talk about they didn't re-sign Allen Robinson. They let him go to Chicago. So they've made some moves. And they signed Dante Moncrief to take Allen Robinson's place. I mean, how ludicrous is that? I think it's almost the same amount of money, too. So they made some really questionable moves on their wide receiver. So they don't have their skill positions weak. Keelan, I thought I thought Keelan Cole was going to be a lot better. I thought D.D. Westbrook was going to be a lot better. But everybody's kind of adjusted to what their plan is, which is just run those little guys 
in, in slants and let them have an open field, but teams are starting to be able to take that away because Blake Bortles is so inaccurate in part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's also not getting time because the offensive line's not playing well. He doesn't have a – I think they're down to like their third tight end or fourth tight end or something like that. Their fullback was taking snaps at tight end. So they've lost a lot of players on that offensive side of the ball. And so when you lose that many guys and you're forced to say, okay, I'm going to throw the ball to Keelan Cole and watch them drop balls all game, then that hurts you as a, as a quarterback too. Because, you know, we look at the numbers. He was six for 12. <laughs> but I think, what, three or four of those were drops. Yeah, I know at least two were drops by Cole. Uh, and even then, like eight for 12 was a big difference in six for 12. And that was also two first downs that Cole dropped that would have at least been field goals probably too. Yeah, so that's a, that's a really big deal. And Keelan Cole doesn't drop balls. This game, when you start looking about, at, you know, what's the difference in, in what makes a game, you know, go one way or the other, two first down drops by, by Cole, you know, the uh, turnovers by Jacksonville, that was the difference of this, in this game. It wasn't Bill O'Brien, this master strategist who somehow outsmarted Doug Maroney, and not even close to that. It was the fact that there were these turnovers and drop balls. That's what twisted this game in the Texans' direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And also, like, the thing about those turnovers, too, like they weren't really great impact plays made by Houston. Like, the first fumble that Bortles had, he was like, you know, playing twister, trying to turn over it for the first down marker and that be able to keep his body up. And that left the ball exposed when he Mercer was able to, you know, force that one out. And the second one, you know, Cunningham tackled from behind, kind of twist him and threw him. And that separated the ball. And then when it bounced, it bounced up to Kareem Jackson, you know, right away too. So, um, you know, recovering fumbles is a, is a luck thing. And Houston was lucky enough to recover them. And they did what they should with it. You know, they, they turned into 10 points and that was kind of the difference. But um, it was, you know, like it wasn't like, I don't think Boros had like a, a absolutely horrendous game. You know, he wasn't like Derek Anderson or Nathan Peterman out there. He just fumbled the ball twice, you know, running for first downs, and Houston happened to recover it. Yeah. I, I just think it's funny that people are saying that Bill O'Brien outsmarted Maroney, and it's like, no. <laughs> no, he didn't. No. <laughs> uh, so the, the Jaguars have lost three in a row now, and I think this is one of the things I like about football where even though they only played 16 games in a season, the season's just so long. And so you have Houston starts off 0-3. Their losing streak just happened to come at the beginning of the year rather than the middle of the year. And now Jackson was going through something similar where you know, they're 0-3, they lost to Kansas City, they lost to Dallas, and they've lost to Houston now. Uh, what do you think the Jags can do to, to kind of turn this thing around on their end? And this week they play Philadelphia in London at 8.30 in the morning. And Boros is great in London too. He loves it out there. <laughs> I, I think what you do is you have to go back to what making Bortles great again. <laughs> and I think you do that by getting Leonard Fournette. By burning off. coal. By burning yeah, coal. Yeah, by burning coal, clearly. This is kind of what you – like, it's kind of – I understand what you're saying now. It's a good metaphor. Like, burning coal is giving the ball to Leonard Fournette, running the ball between the tackles. Uh, just going back to, like, smash mouth football, you know, making it as plain as possible. Right. Getting Cam Robinson half, half, or healthy, re-signing Allen Robinson. What made Bortles successful last year is that he had – he had a line that kept him pretty clean and he had Leonard Fournette to help him. And he doesn't have any of those things. None of those safety blankets exist. So I don't know what Maroney can, Maroney can do to really help Bortles today until at least Fournette comes back until they at least start getting some competent left tackle play. I just don't, that is just 
the pieces aren't there for that to happen, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they do are going to have Carlos Hyde, and Hyde, I think, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I think he, looks like, he can break tackles, and I think Hyde can be like a, a five between the tackles runner. Because uh, they still have Norwell here. They still have Brandon Linder. Linder's a great guard. AJ Can's mediocre. So they still have interior run blocking. And Hyde's broken tackles, you know, well last year in San Francisco. So, like, even that's better than Yeldon running the ball 15 times between the middle. You know, Yeldon's more of a pass catch, more of an outside zone runner. So then that's one thing that can help. But, I mean, really the biggest thing for Jacksonville is they have to get leads right away. And their defense needs to create more turnovers. Their defense needs to be better, too. Like, there's no reason why Lamar Miller should be able to run for 100 yards against them. There's no reason that they're only able to get one sack on Watson with the advantage that they have with their front seven. Uh, there's no reason they should be playing cover four against the Dallas Cowboys who had, you know, exactly zero good receivers. Uh, there's no need for any of that. And so I think just, like, going back and doing more of what worked last year, and then also, like, their great players need to play better. I think a lot of stuff is kind of simple where they have talent, but their talented guys just need to be better football players. Uh, than they've been this year and be more like they were in the past too. So I, I mean, like scheme wise, like I don't really know a whole lot that they can do, you know, offensively. I think the biggest thing is, you know, having a guy who can run between the tackles and then Bortles going to have to hit some more downfield throws. Like they're going to have to hit Charks at least like twice a game. They're going to have to hit Moncrief maybe once a game if he can even do that and just be able to create more separation too for the crossing routes. And maybe then uh, they can ride things around a little bit. <laughs> Oh, man, I, I was walking home the other day, and I just couldn't make it, and I charked right in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, DJ, I'm sure you're cool. <laughs> and then whenever Deshaun Watson woke up on the bus, that was one of the other things that happened. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just shark. It was charks everywhere. Um, yeah, that's really sad when you're having to go out, to, and, and that's the guy who you're really pointing to is, is DJ Chark, but – He's, he's, pretty a good. he's pretty good. Pretty he's pretty good. He's a pick out of LSU. He's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but he's, you know, if that's who you're counting on, I think you're in a lot of trouble. And if you're not being able to count on guys like, you know, Safarian Jenkins and, and you've got so many injuries on your offensive line, it makes it tough. But, yeah, I think you just said it right there is, is you know, the, the battle in the locker room was between the offense and the defense, right? And, but the defense can do a lot more to step up. And I, every time you mention that Cowboy game and that stupid zone they were playing, it's just like you've got Boye and Ramsey and you're playing zone? Yeah. Wow. And you're allowing Cole Beasley to catch, you know, 10, 10 catches on 11 targets for 102 yards too. Yeah, because it's so difficult just to learn how to sit down in a zone. And that's when you're Cole Beasley, that's literally your calling card. I'm I'm Cole Beasley. I sit down in zones. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, like, anything else around Jacksonville, I don't really have anything else to say about them. I just hope they play better because I like when good teams play well. Although I'm a Texans fan, I like good football uh, first and foremost. And I really enjoyed watching the Jags last year. I thought they could be one of those teams that, you know, could actually beat New England, make the conference actually difficult for them. And uh, now they got some soul-searching to do. And, I can't think of a better place than London to, to do some soul searching, you know. So for Houston, you know, defensively, this game was all about the run defense. They were able to stop Yeldon. They were able to stop, like, their second, third string running backs. A guys he'll never think of again. And even more, it was kind of all Jadavion Clowney. He had seven tackles, two tackles for a loss, four quarterback hits. He had a fumble recovery, and he had two sacks. 
JJ Watt was pretty quiet. Zach Cunningham had a great game chasing and tackling. I think he had 10 tackles uh, off the dome. And they've allowed 36 points in their last three games, which comes out to a very difficult equation. Let me run real fast. Uh, have uh, 12 points a game. So, BFD, do you think this is what's going to happen every single time they play a run-heavy offense? I think there's a great chance. And, and Matt and I were talking about it before we started the show, is that your Houston Texans are number one against the run in the NFL right now by DVOA. And, wow, that's not really a surprise at all. <laughs> I mean, when you look at who we're throwing out there, and I want to talk about Clowney for sure. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh, I was man crushing Clowney all Sunday. Um, is that when you look at our defensive line is guys like DJ Reader, who just takes on multiple guys, J.J. Watt, who's either the first or second best defensive end against the uh, run in football, and Clowney is the other first or second best defensive end against the run in, in football, and the way they used him on Sunday was fantastic. You have McKinney, Cunningham's okay. Uh, Kareem Jackson, who is fantastic against the run. He's just looks so good at safety. When you look, look at those guys who are throwing out there against the run, it's like, gee, no wonder we're so good against the run because, look, our, our team is made for that. So if you're a team that's going to rely on the run like Jacksonville does, like a lot of the teams that we're facing the rest of the season, the Jets especially, they're going to be in a world of hurt because ain't nobody going to move the team against us on the, uh, on the ground, Big Matt. It's just not, it's not a thing that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and like even this year I thought they would have a top five run defense. The run defense is even better than I thought it was going to be with a, a very modest top five prediction. And I thought they would win seven, get nine games of the pass rush was really good. The pass rush has been a lot better. But uh, the biggest thing, or no, the pass rush was healthy is what I said. And then I didn't even think that the pass rush could be bad at all. And it's turned from bad to, you know, good. It's not great yet, but it's been good. I think if Whitney Merciless becomes a competent pass rusher again, that could bump that up into great. And then maybe you have a rush you can – cover up for uh, the issues with the cornerback play specifically. So, yeah, like it's been, it's been awesome to watch their run defense. And like Ezekiel Elliott, you know, he's – I would consider him one of the, you know, five best running backs in football. He's one of the elite running backs. He only picked up 54 yards and 20 carries against Houston. And so if they're able to stop Dallas's run game, I'm not particularly worried about them against Miami. I know Denver is one of the best rush offenses by DVOA. I'm not really all that worried about them against Washington, Tennessee, Cleveland, Indy. The Jets, maybe not even Philly because they don't have any running backs, not Jacksonville. So, I mean, I think throughout the year, like this deep run defense should finish first in DVOA. And I really don't think there's a rush offense out there that can give them any trouble at all. No, no, they're just too good. And and so let's I want to, let's take JJ Watt first. You said he had a quiet game. Look, it, it seemed like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but during the game, whatever side uh, during on a pass play, whatever side of the line Watt lined up on. T.J. Yeldon was also lined up on that side to chip him. And it seemed like T.J. Yeldon's sole calling in life during the game was to chip <laughs> Watt and, and to take him away. And he made Yeldon crush Watt a couple of times. But it seemed like that Jacksonville's primary function on defense was to take J.J. Watt out of the game and just deal with Clowney because you couldn't do the same thing with Clowney because they kept lining him up over the A and B caps. Mm-hmm. Just letting him run wild. And it was so delightful to see the destruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, I think the, the thing I was wondering about this game was how they were going to use Watt if they were going to keep him on Josh Walker. 
If you don't know who Josh Walker is, you'll never think of him again. He's <laughs> left tackle. Uh, he's their third left tackle they've had to play this year. And Jason Brack said on Twitter that he was on the Texans practice squad and was saying some little lines of, you know, like he could you know, possibly start guard for the Texans. And I don't agree with that at all. I think Walker's too slow. His foot, piece, his foot speed is too slow to be a competent left tackle. And so throughout the year, though, they put Watt on the opponent's, you know, worst offensive lineman. And usually that was the other team's right tackle just based off the matchups they've faced so far. But so I thought maybe they put Watt over there at right defensive end. So they kept Clowney over there, and they allowed Clowney to just work, you know, Walker over and over again. In the run game, you know, Walker couldn't get any movement. Clowney just played that textbook, just punch and sit, make run tackles. He had a second sack of the game with an edge rush against Walker. Uh, he had one, one of his sacks came off of swimming past A.J. Can blitzing as the, you know, in the A-gap as a stamp linebacker. He beat Josh Norwell in the same move and almost either, you know, pick six Bortles or – I uh, could have had a safety up. Bortles was able to throw the ball out to the flat quick enough to get rid of it. And, uh, you know, he was just death and destruction and pestilence and, you know, all those bad things that could wipe out the human race in this game. And, you know, whenever you have a, a bad left tackle or, like, one bad offensive lineman on your team, the Texans can really take advantage of it with either Watt or Clowney. Yeah, and I just love the, the way that Cornell was using Clowney. He just – I love to see Clowney standing. Mm-hmm. I do. I love to see him standing, and I don't care. I know we've talked about that's kind of hypocritical because I've talked about I really like him better playing three, four base defensive end. I really like him there. He's going to be down, but he's still good. But when you're in a passing situation, I want to see Clowney up. And I like this the way that they were disguising their blitzes against a, a team that's really struggling along the offensive line, I think is absolutely what drove this game on Sunday. We've talked about the turnovers, but the, our defense had the uh, Jaguars' offensive line pooping is charking themselves all game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I like Clowney as a 3-4 defensive end in run situations. I like him standing up and, you know, as like a – as some sour cream on the Cam Ravioli, you know, <laughs> blitzing as a stamp linebacker and, and run blitzes too. But predominantly I like him at, you know, right defensive end. I like him with his hand down in the run game. But just as a way to change things up, those inside linebacker blitzes are great. And it's kind of funny too because, like, when the, run, when the pass defense was bad those first three weeks, Cornell would just remember what he did that worked. So last time he was defensive coordinator, it was like, oh, yeah, I bet this still works again. And sure <laughs> enough, you know, it still works. And O'Brien has kind of learned that as well, too, but has had to switch back to be more cautious with lots of his injuries as well. Yeah, and I think they're – hopefully they're past that. And I wonder uh, – yeah, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask. So, Matt, did you know <laughs> – did you know that Bill O'Brien is now eight and twenty-two against teams with a record of five of better than five hundred? His career as a Houston Texans coach, eight and twenty-two. That's better. Actually, that's worse. He's lost his last four. He went from eight and eighteen to eight and twenty-two. Oh, the Jags game, I guess, didn't count. Didn't count because they're now below five hundred. Gotcha. But that is that is a two. I think it's like a two sixty seven winning percentage. So I, I forgot to bring that up in our intro when we were talking about Bob earlier. But good, Durga. That's really freaking horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I mean, like it's just one of those things that's gonna keep happening. And at least they don't have to play any good teams at all until the end of the year. 
So is there anything else you want to talk about on the defense at all? Do you want to talk about Cody Kessler's little, you know, five yards of pass attempt, uh, touchdown drive at all? Yeah, so I've got something I do want to say about that, and I'll be very quick, is that that drive reminded me of, because I love my Madden references, I don't care what anybody else thinks, but it's that one maddening, Madden drive against you as you're playing that you've done everything right and somehow the other team scores a touchdown and you look back and they had like 14 plays for 63 yards and they got the touchdown and you like just want to punch something after that. <laughs> the computer like cheats and has to get points on you some way. Right. It's just it's utterly ridiculous. Anyway. Yeah, and I like that touchdown drive too because they just played like nine yards off and just yeah. allowed them to just walk down and you know take eight minutes off the clock. And then I like the idea too, Jacks fans would be like, well, we got to play Kessler. Look at this great drive he had. And they were just allowing him to walk in the end zone at that point. That was – there was so much wrong with that drive. I hated that drive so very much. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take a, a quick break real fast, and then we'll be back to discuss the, the Texans-Dolphins game and all the revenge that's about to occur. The, before we get to the Dolphins question, I lied. That was a, a big tease. My next question for you is, who's your favorite Texans rookie so far this year? When he's on the field, it's, it's cutie pie. Guy brings another dimension to the offense, and I cannot wait till he's healthy. Uh, this is a – we have never has a franchise had a guy like Kiki Cutie that you can point to and say, this is a guy who can create a lot of problems in the slot. I mean, when you have to go to guys like David Anderson – as your as the best slot receiver for a franchise, that's pretty pathetic. But Kiki Cutie is finally that guy. He can be our heartbreaker in the slot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did like one of those uh, SB Nation Dolphins podcasts, like the Finn side or whatever. And they asked me, like, you know, who's going to be the Texan slot receiver in this game? And I was like, well, they don't even have one. They've never had one at all. And so I was trying to think if they've ever had a slot receiver before. And, like, I mean, the tight end was a slot receiver during Kubiak. Yeah. And it was just two wide receivers, two tight ends. And then, like, Baxton Miller tried to be a thing, but he wasn't a thing. And so I think you have to say that, yeah, you know, Cutie's the best slot receiver the Texans have ever had. And maybe even the only slot receiver they've had. And he's played, like, three games in his career so far. <laughs> yeah. It, it, David Anderson, he still has to, who has to surpass the David Anderson threshold to be the best slot receiver in history. <laughs> Because he's got to do the pluck move, right? Yeah, yeah. The Conan O'Brien <laughs> dance, the string dance. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that is fun about, like, being a fan of a team is that if you were just, like, a guy who watched a lot of football and didn't really care about one team, you would miss out on the joys of knowing about David Anderson being you know, the best slot receiver on your, your terrible, uh, putrid you know, football team that you, that you try to love that will never love you. But my uh, favorite rookie this year is Trevor Daniel. I just get, like, so excited whenever there's a punt that ends in a fair catch. It's like, wait, they can't return every single kick that uh, gets kicked over to them. And that punt where they downed the one-yard line was just spectacular. And then that also that punt led to a turnover at the Jaguars' June 20-yard line that Houston turned into a DeAndre Hopkins touchdown that really ended the game. And it's just – it's so great to actually have a punter who's not – you know, grizzled and old, but people think it's good because he's cool and they would you know, send the deer blind with him and drink yellow bellies. Yeah, it's the, the amount of shiza I took for saying bad things about Shane Leckler last year and was told, oh, you can't look at the advanced stats and 
And, oh, no, he's really good. You just don't know football at all. And, look, we get a new punter, and our special teams unit goes from, like, 32nd to, what are they, like, first or second right now? So, yeah. Yeah, that's all I can – okay, I'm just going to say it. I was right. <laughs> Y'all were wrong. Deal. And, and also talking about the coverage units, and I got I got never actually sat there and watched a coverage unit, you know. I can just sit there and look and see that every punt, it gets returned. And there's too many punts that go in the back of the end zone. And there's not enough down the 20. And you know, that's easier to see. But I'm not going to make the argument the other way around. So, uh, anyways, that was, a, that was a question we had from uh, Jamie on Twitter that we didn't get to last week that I wanted to make sure to get to tonight. So, for playoff odds, we're now entering week eight. You know, it's, we're already, it's getting cold now. It's been 55 degrees for, like, 10 days straight here in uh, beautiful San Antonio. I haven't seen the sign. I saw the sun once Sunday morning. And I haven't seen it since. And uh, there's Dementors everywhere right now. And so, but we're already here. We can start talking playoff odds. So I'm only going by winning the division by pro by football outsiders because I can't see any team in this division, you know, winning a wild card spot at all. So currently they have Houston with a 56.8% chance to win the division at four and three. And then every team except for Tennessee is three and four. Uh, but the weird thing is they're all really kind of strangely grouped together. So Jacksonville is a 14% chance. India has a 13.8% chance, and Tennessee has a 15.3% chance to win the division as of right now. And again, the Jags and uh, Tennessee are three and four, and the Colts are uh, two and five at the moment. Yeah, and th- this game this week was is, was a flipper, right? Houston went up by 25%. Jacksonville fell by 21%. This game flipped it all around, uh, and that's on totals. But with the rest of our schedule – and the fact that Jacksonville's playing a first-place schedule, we're playing a last-place schedule, that really is a big deal for the rest of the season for these two teams. That's why mm-hmm. it's entirely possible that the Texans are going to wind up 12-4 and four and 11-5 and be 15th in DBOA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still think they'll probably win only – I think a lot of these games are going to go from ones that they probably wouldn't win to coin flips uh, just because of the, the run defense and how good it's been and the type of teams that they're playing. But I still assume that they'll probably finish around, you know, nine and seven, ten and six, and that should be either just enough or more than enough to win the division. It's gonna be twenty fifteen all over again. <laughs> Hell yeah! Uh, so, the Lord, He's alive, He's real, and He's beautiful. And this week, He's proven it once again, <laughs> in all the mysterious ways that He knows how. And He has shown that one, that Ryan Tannehill's AC joint will get sprained, and two, that he would be unable to play by the time Houston uh, went down to Miami to play the Dolphins on Thursday night football. And so Manifest Destiny's here. Name Redacted starting this week in Miami against Houston. BFD, do you have any vitriol towards Name Redacted? Are you thirsting for revenge in this one uh, for all the, all the wasted Sundays you spent in 2016? <laughs> I... There, there is a part of me, I have to admit, that would be absolutely giddy to see Brock Eisweiler win on a fourth-quarter drive on Thursday night. There's yeah. part of me that would think that would be so freaking hilarious and comedy gold on so many levels because of all the stories that came out, especially after Brock left, that Bill O'Brien had him pinned up against the wall by his shirt <laughs> in, in the stadium and all that crap like that and all the – you know, all the hand-washing that went with Brock Osweiler and, and <clears throat> Rick Smith and 
and Bill O'Brien both saying, oh, he wasn't my guy, and all the melodrama drama that went with that, part of me just thinks that it would be really freaking cool if Brock Eisweiler just drove the team down, scored in the fourth quarter, and just took a dump on the 50-yard line. So, <laughs> it would be the most Texas thing ever, for sure. It, it, and it would be – exactly. That would be the most Texas thing. So – uh, do I have any ill feelings towards Brock Osweiler? Uh, yeah, of course I do. Um, watching him play quarterback was a waste of my time, just like it has been to watch Bill O'Brien OC and uh, be an OC in this league. But do I blame Osweiler? Do I blame Bob? The answer is yes. But, yeah, I, I'm going to watch this game and – I think any way this comes out, I'm going to be happy just because there's going to be some sort of stupid revenge one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of – it would be the most Texans thing ever. The thing I would want to see if the Texans lose to the Dolphins is both Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien to leak reports to the media saying that uh, name redacted was my quarterback. He was my guy. I wanted him the entire time. I told y'all I knew he was going to be great. Uh, that would be just – just so spectacular and beautiful. But so the Texans are playing uh, the one and only you know, guy they spent all their money for in 2016. And we've come back and they're running the same offense that they used in 2016. Just there's the aura, the, the mirage that Watson can actually be used as a runner as well too. Now when you close your eyes and you hear the name Brock Eisweiler, uh, what image do you see? What stands out the most from his time in Houston? The inaccuracy. The just – the inability to get the ball close to his receivers at times. And I'm not talking – there are several times when he was 10 yards away from the freaking wide receiver. Accuracy is what makes a quarterback in the NFL, and Brock Eisweiler wants nothing to do with that concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whenever I think of him, I'll forever see the fumble. Uh, that was the game against <laughs> Denver when they scored, I think, six points and lost like 20 to six or whatever. And the reason why I'll never forget it mainly is because he averaged only, I think, 3.6 yards in attempt that game. And he threw a fumble farther than his average pass attempt. And it was just the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. It also happened, like, the third or fourth quarter, too, where, like, the game was over. You know, everything was just despair. Uh, it was awful and it was terrible. And you know, he at least you know, snuck that last bit of joy with that uh, hilarious throw. Yeah, that's kind of the one I was specifically thinking of, but there's so many. There are so many, like, especially outs. He just – he might throw one 10 yards short, 10 yards long. You just had no idea where the ball was going at any point in time. Mm-hmm. So we had a question from Upper Root Texan, and he asked, what's the most hilarious interception name redacted will throw on Thursday? It's been a while. I would love to see an interception off uh, a referee. I think that'd be fun. It's been a while since I've seen one. I've seen one. That's what I want to see. Yeah, I think the, the way it would have to happen, I mean, I think he's probably going to throw two interceptions. And it's probably just going to be like some one-on-one route where John, I think John and Joseph probably will get one where he's just playing like eight yards off and the guys can run a post and uh, he'll break on the ball and be able to kind of snatch it pretty quick. But, I mean, I, I think I've seen every hilarious interception the guy can throw. And my imagination is just dried up. I really don't I have anything cute or clever about what he can do. Because he's already done it, you know. He's already done it. I've seen it already. 
Yeah, no, it's got. There's got to be some sort of style factor to it. It's got to be off a of ref or off the mascot or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I guess because you have the Fitzpatrick, you know, helmet interception. You have the Bortles kick pick, and then him. You know, you just you have the Frumble. So I think that was more than enough. Miami right now they're averaging four point six yards a carry, which is eleventh in football. Do you think Kenyon Drake and Frank Gore will run the ball against Houston at all? No. <laughs> That's Miami. <laughs> do they do anything well on defense? Can Houston play 2016 football to win this game? Yes. I, I think this is another game. I think this is what we're going to see from here on out is, is if you consider how conservative Bill O'Brien is just de facto as a coach and you look at what's working theoretically, I mean, you really should be playing. This is 2018, folks. I mean, we're, we're looking at 1973 football again. But that's what we're going to see from the Texans from here on out. I think you're going to see that we're just going to grind it out with Lamar Miller and Alfred Blue Hurl, that we're going to not see Deshaun Watson try to stretch the field because if there's one thing Bill O'Brien is not going to tolerate, it's going to be turnovers. So you're going mm-hmm. to see uh, a very, very conservative game plan. It's going to be boring as all hell, and we're going to try to win every game from here on out 20 to 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, it's back to, you know, hungover, uh, you know, hungover football with Houston. It's going to be on a Thursday night, so I can't even get, be hungover to watch this game and fully enjoy it. It's going to be a, an alien experience, you know. But for, for Houston, this game, I mean, I don't think Miami's going to run the ball at all. You know, their interior blocking isn't very great. I do think Laramie Tunsil is going to be the best offensive lineman they've faced so far this year. You know, he runs into trouble by missing blocks and by not knowing who to block. Uh, he, you know, blocks down when he should block the edge rusher. Uh, he, you know, doesn't block the right linebacker sometimes. But his upper body is insanely strong when he gets his hands on you. Like, nobody, you know, really gets out of his grasp. And uh, he's like a – he's a true franchise left tackle. And I think him against Wah and Clowney, uh, probably mostly against Clowney, it's going to be a really great matchup. I think it's going to be the best offensive tackle. Clowney and Wah both have gone up against an offensive lineman, period, uh, this week. But – you know, even then, like, the Dolphins' offense is all inside runs, and then it's all name-redacted swing passes because he can't throw the ball downfield with any accuracy if there's, uh, you know, two safeties back there at all. So everything's short. It's all really boring. It worked against the Bears because Albert Wilson was healthy, and he just had a game of his career. It really made, made me wonder, like, how good Albert Wilson would be on the Chiefs in 2018 as well. Like, if they signed him instead of Sammy Watkins, like, how absurd, uh, how much better that offense could have even been, too. But if, unless guys are breaking tackles or running forever, you know, the passing offense is going to be really bad too. And I know Kenny Stills is out this week. Albert Wilson's out this week. It's going to be a lot of Kenyon Drake. It's going to be a lot of uh, Frank Gore. It's going to be a lot of Gillespie. Uh, the one guy who I think is super interesting is Grant. He's a great kick returner. I think they're going to have to use him as well as a slot receiver. And he's a guy who – Jakeem Grant is you know, like a third-round pick out of Tech. And he's dynamite. It's just really going to depend on how good of a receiver he can actually be. But like that's who he's going to be able to throw to. He doesn't even have the talent he normally has. And then defensively, you know, their linebackers are slow. Uh, their, their rookie linebacker, Jerome Baker, for Alvo Ohio State, is terrible in coverage. Kiko Alonso can't play man coverage. You know, Rashad Evans is a good safety. Xavier Howard's one of the best cornerbacks in football. But that's only two guys out of, you know, six or seven that are possibly going to be in coverage. So I think Houston's going to be able to make enough downfield passes on the sidelines with, you know, Fuller and Hopkins to be able to move the ball. And then their pass rush isn't very good either. It's 
you know, Spence, Robert Quinn's fine. He is a good technical pass rusher. He just doesn't have the athleticism that he's had before. And so I think Watson's going to have a lot of time. I think he's going to make like three downfield throws. They'll, you know, kick enough field goals. And I'm assuming Houston's going to win this game. Uh, so I have the Texans winning 19-16. Who do you have for this one? Oh, I'm going to go uh, because I like my field goals, right? I think you just have to like your field goals when you're the Houston Texans. I'm going to go 23-17 to 17 Texans. Um, you, you mentioned a couple of those guys. Uh, I think Amendola is healthy now. He should be playing. And uh, I'm sorry, Amendola has been playing all season. Devontae Parker is one who's going to be healthy this game. Mm-hmm. So uh, supposedly he's supposed to be back. That'll be interesting to see because he's a freak if he's ever healthy, but he's never healthy. Losing Stills and losing um, Albert Wilson are pretty big deals for Osweiler, though, because you're right. It, this is a guy who's going to rely 100% on getting the ball out of his hands and letting those guys make plays with their feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and also with him, too, like he's so slow in the pocket that there's any rush at all against him, especially like I think Watt's going to have a huge game against Miami. Uh, he can't escape from anybody at all. And he has no, like, pocket presence. Remember him last, in 2016 where he's a baby deer back there? Like a cat with tape stuck on the bottom of his feet. I kind of clopping clop around back there whenever there's any sign of a rush, too. So I think that's also going to work in Houston's favor. Yeah, and also I think it's kind of a game where they go up early, like, you know, 13-0 or 16-0, like they did against Jacksonville. And they allow some cheap drives, and the game looks closer than it was. But – you know, I think I'm assuming every game is going to end in one possession for Houston the rest of the year. Yeah, I, I don't see any reason to believe otherwise because that's how Bill O'Brien's going to play it. Again, Bill O'Brien's going to always fall back on to what he's most comfortable with, and what he's comfortable with is playing for the tie. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> we're playing for one point more than the tie. Yeah, it's just going to be ridiculous. I think, you know, I, again, I want my unicorn. And I was promised a unicorn. Bill O'Brien and Deshaun Watson is going to give everybody a unicorn that poops brisket and pees a, a delightful autumnal need. Instead, yeah. what we've got, we've got a 48-year-old horse that has a toilet paper, I mean, I'm sorry, a paper towel, like the, the thing, the uh, metal part sticking up out of its head, and it poops Kansas City barbecue and pees Coors Light. That's yeah. not the unicorn that I wanted. I wanted my unicorn. I'm not getting my unicorn. What instead I'm going to get is I'm going to get Deshaun Watson being told to play for 20 points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've, I've accepted it, and I'm okay with it until Watson gets healthy. But if it's December and they're still playing this game, uh, I'll, I'll go back to being upset again. But for now, I can accept it. The one thing I'm going to add before we end tonight's show is Miami, I think, is aesthetically – the Miami Dolphins are my least favorite team to watch play. I can't stand their, like, revamp of their colors, like the aquamarine, like, sea- mermaid sequin color. The dolphin now looks like some toothpaste that you smashed in, in a fit on your bathroom, like if you stubbed your toe, you know, walking the space <laughs> in the morning. They're also, like, their end zone wall is a foot behind the end zone. Can he still smash the security guard because there's no room at all for the guys to run at full speed? Just so – you know, people can drink $17 margaritas and feel like they're a lot closer to the action. And they also have like such a, oh, and they have Miami. They have a perfect Miami tram stamp on the back of their jerseys as well too. And they had such great ones with the dolphin with the cute little helmet, the football, that like green and orange they have is beautiful, is perfect. And they had to screw it all up by 
you know, being this minimalist, uh, you know, Rothko-esque Miami Dolphins football team with their color change. And I hate it. I can't stand it. And even if I like, you know, watching Larry Tunsil play, I just am nauseous the entire time because of this, this rebranding they did a few years back. Matt, I just – I absolutely could not agree more. I'm mad. I'm excited to write about it on thir- for Thursday's preview too. I'm going to write – one of the six things to, ri- to watch for as a spoiler alert is how putrescent uh, Miami's <laughs> aesthetics are. I'm in. I'm all so, in. Uh, uh, is there anything else that you have to add all tonight? Uh, yeah, just, just again, I'm going to say it out loud. I said it in the post. I think that every game the Texans win this year is against the best interests of the Texans long-term. I just do. I think that the sooner we get rid of Bill O'Brien, the better this team's going to be. For the, all the reasons I mentioned, I, it, it, he is not a good coach. If, is there ever a time when you say to yourself, thank goodness Bill O'Brien is our head coach? Because I've never once said that. Well, <laughs> since, since the first season, i got to say. Because I don't want him managing the game. I don't want him challenging plays. I don't want him calling plays. I, I, I think, again, a ham sandwich adds more to the team than does Bill O'Brien. <laughs> what if a ham sandwich has must, mustard or mayonnaise? Would that make any better at all? Well, see, I like my, I like my mayonnaise. Eat I like that, your tea. <laughs> I like mayonnaise until, until middle school. Middle school ruined mayonnaise for me, you know. Mayonnaise and deli mustard on my ham sandwich with tomatoes and lettuce and a good Swiss. Yeah, sounds nice. Well, all <laughs> about Brian Malarkey whenever we get closer to, to December and uh, we and it gets a little bit colder. I hope maybe the Malarkey thing happens, who knows. But anyways, that's all I have tonight. Uh, thank you for listening to Bell Red Radio. Thank you for being on tonight, BFD. And if you're listening to the show, you know, make sure to subscribe on iTunes. It's on Spotify now, which is weird. Uh, you can follow us on Spotify. It's on Stitcher. It's on all those sorts of places. And leave us a re- review too as well uh, whenever you listen to the show. But uh, again, thanks for listening tonight. And my name is Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Red Radio. Lord, I was born I thought it was pretty good. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even... Stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.